This is information not being reported by anyone else. You want the scoop? Here it is with Darren Doogie Wolfson. The only fishing I'll be doing this weekend is trying to fish for an answer for my seven-year-old as to why three for four, but the one out was a strikeout, but why three for four isn't good enough for him in his baseball game. The young man strives for perfection, and I'm not quite sure baseball is the ultimate sport to be playing if you're striving for perfection at all times. Baseball is a sport of failure. He is learning. He is uber competitive for a seven-year-old. That's why I love him. That's why recording multiple podcasts in a week is a challenge in the months of May and June and early July because I help coach my older son's baseball team. But hey, lo and behold, I am in the studio on a Friday night, the 11th of May. So I bring you Scoop Podcast episode 146. I also will be fishing this weekend for scoops, always fishing for scoops, but certainly not doing any of the conventional fishing. I'll leave that up to my brother-in-law, Tim, and all his buddies. They are religious fishermen. Me, not so much. A couple times a summer, you go pick up the license and you don't get your your money's worth, but that's okay. Hey, I can make a donation to the DNR. Why not? Hey, I'm all for it. So anyway, I'm in the studio on Friday night, the 11th of May, bringing you a new Scoop podcast. We will get to Twin Scouting Director Sean Johnson at the conclusion, or at least the latter part will take him into the end of the Scoop podcast. So we'll go news slash notes slash scoops then hopefully he can provide us with some information. Sean can with the draft fast approaching. The Twins have the 20th pick in the first round. Lots of homework being done on pitchers. Not that they won't go with a position player at pick 20, but so much homework being done on the arms, both collegiate and high school-wise, that I do get the sense that they prefer going pitcher in the first round. But certainly Sean can provide at least some clarity, some hints, into what they are thinking. I would be remiss to not wish my mom, my wife, who's a fabulous mom, to our two boys. Heck, there's no way I'm allowed to do what I love doing, my passion, reporting on sports, without a very understanding wife. So I would be remiss to not wish all the moms in my life and all the moms that listen to the Scoop Podcast a very, very happy Mother's Day this weekend. Guys, spoil those women in your life this weekend. They absolutely deserve it. Also, you can spoil yourself. Speaking of fishing, the fishing opener, you don't need to fish for a really good deal because I have the information right here for you. Indochino, Indochino.com, you can get a really good deal on a premium suit. They use top quality fabric. Everything about Indochino is A+. I'm telling you, go to Google, type in Indochino, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. You'll see all the great reviews. And they are the world's largest made-to-measure menswear company. So think about what the summer fast approaching. We are into wedding season, bar and bat mitzvah season, any number of special occasions. So if you're looking for a new suit, guys, consider Indochino. They do have a showroom at Mall of America on the first floor. Or you can just enter in everything online. You can order online, Indochino.com. And you can get a premium Indochino suit for just $379 when you enter the code SCOOP at checkout. The code is SCOOP, S-C-O-O-P, SCOOP, at checkout. And that's 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit. Shipping is free. They have all sorts of different colors you can choose from. I mean, you think about it. They customize your suit. So whatever you want for your suit, they will give it to you. And I'm telling you, it is such 
good material. It's a suit that will last you a long time. I have some suits that I've gone through in six months, nine months, 12 months, 18 months. This suit will last you much longer than that. So if you're thinking about buying a new suit, consider Indochino. Again, online, it is Indochino.com. I'll get to a bunch of Wolves draft notes, but let me begin by replaying my segment from the Mackie and Judd show on 1500 ESPN. Those guys are on weekdays, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. I made my weekly appearance on Friday at 12.30. We got into a bunch of Wolf stuff. I'll make an edit after the Wolf stuff and pick up with some draft notes plus some reaction to what I said. We also got into some other stuff that I'll get into later in this podcast. But let me replay the conversation from Friday's Mackie and Judd show. My appearance called... The Scoop. How about that for creativity? The segment is called The Scoop. So here is my appearance from Friday afternoon, the 11th of May, with Mackie and Judd talking about the angst with the Wolves. Now that we're seeing, like, Dwayne Casey got fired today, which means no coach should feel super safe about anything short of a championship. If you can, basically, his only crime in Toronto was not beating LeBron, which is, like, going to go down as every non-Spurs Warriors uh, fate in the LeBron era. So anyways, anything Wolves that you're hearing? Well, I mean, it's a continuing theme. I mean, it's something we have talked about going back weeks, the uneasiness over there, the angst. We saw some stuff come to light earlier this week with Rick Brunson. Certainly those whispers were out there, and I apologize for not getting specific on Rick previously, but that wasn't shocking news. Yeah, You know, so that's on top of everything else. I'm telling you, all aspects of that organization, there's some backbiting, There's just, I'm telling you, the best way for me to put it is uneasiness. And I'll remind people, on the surface, they jump up 16 wins. They win 47 games. The TV ratings go up approximately 77%. They have 18 sellouts. Corporate money was up 20%. On the surface, it seems like everything is fine. But I'm just telling you, everything is not fine. It's just not. Where does this go? So does this go all the way up to Glen Doogie? Where, do, where well, does it sort of I begin mean, and where does it maybe end at? Sure, it absolutely goes all the way up to Glen. I can tell you, at least on two occasions during the regular season, Glenn went to Tibbs to pretty much figure out why he acts the way he does. For lack of a better term, why is he buffoon? Especially on the sidelines. You know, in-game, the swear words with kids sitting courtside. You know, I mean, Glenn's sitting right there, so Glenn... Sees it all. I mean, Glenn here secondhand stuff. To me, the question is, does the CEO, Ethan, who's got working knowledge of a lot of these issues, does he at any point go to Glenn and lay everything on the table? Maybe he has. Maybe he hasn't. I don't have that answer. But I'm just telling you, to suggest they are holding hands over there, celebrating the successful year that they just had is not the case. Yeah, And I'll add this. I mean, because I'm dancing around, I'm talking a lot of general stuff. You want some specifics, so they let go Vince Lagarza. I forget what Vince's title was. It wasn't from a lack of work ethic. I mean, the buzz is that Tibbs feels like he should have the strongest relationship with Carl Anthony Towns. Uh. Vince was very close with Carl Anthony Towns. How about this, too, on Vince? Vince was told, do not interact with Jim Peterson. So Jim flies with the team. Jim is a team broadcaster. Wow. Jim is about the nicest human being on the planet. He's also great at his job. To tell your coaching staff, don't interact with Jim, is one of the most idiotic things I've ever heard. Wow. 
So Tom Thibodeau is telling people not to interact with with Jim Peterson. Yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, Tibbs is aware. Tibbs is the boss. See, I mean, I don't know if it's coming directly from Tibbs or if it's coming from the mouth of Scott Layden, but there's no doubt in my mind that Tibbs is aware. You know what? Okay. And I mean, I have you are super plugged in and I and I have no reason to doubt any of this and I don't. So I preface it by saying, you know, if if it's true, then get the bleep out of here. If you're Tom Thibodeau and Scott Layden and that's how you feel about or either one of them, and that's how you feel about one of the most professional and objective and great local color commentators across all four major sports. That's I, Jim Peterson is nationally lauded for how great he is at his job. You go, you follow NBA Twitter, guys like Haralabos, Vulgaris, national people around the country, Brian Windhorst, rave about Jim Peterson. They should. He and is so, that good. He is. And so if you, if you're Scott Layden or Tom Thibodeau. And not only do you disagree with his commentary, but to the point where you would actively try and prevent other people in the organization from communicating with him, get out of here with that. I mean, well, that's, that's and I know absurd. the general manager went to Jim at one point. The reason why there's hatred is too strong. Dislike, however you want to term it, Just with Jim probably. is, he's honest. Yep. It's insecurity. Is he's what not it is. always waving the pom-poms. Yep. You know, he says it like it is. So there is a thought from as high as it gets in that organization outside of Glenn, that maybe Jim should be more positive. But, yeah, I mean, you're right, Phil. I don't want that as a viewer. Yeah, Teach me, educate me. Jim does that on a nightly basis. But, yeah, I mean, the idea that assistant coaches were told to not interact with Jim is as ludicrous as it gets. So there is one specific example. If you're wondering, okay, Dukes, you keep throwing out all these general statements. There is one specific example of something that is just mind-boggling over there. How is it going to sit with the fact that if if this is all true, if uh, Legarza was removed because Tibbs feels that his relationship with Cat should be the strongest that a person has with Cat on the team, and uh, clearly what from what Krasinski wrote about the relationship between Legarza and Cat, that was very tight and very close. Mm-hmm. And Johnny also wrote that uh, that Cat. It wasn't that he needs to be asked about this, but you would think that you would tell him, "Hey, we're thinking of, of this move," and, and he was not. Where does that put things as far as your your young superstar and a coach stepping in and firing a guy who that's, that superstar liked and trusted? There still is the bridge of the agency, Creative Arts Agency. They represent Carl Anthony Towns. They represent Tom Thibodeau. So a guy like Leon Rose can massage that relationship if it even needs to be massaged. Also, if you're wondering about Cat's long-term status here, Name me the last player off a rookie contract yeah, who doesn't sign, yeah. to turn down a max offer. I'm just saying. You just don't do that. You know when you turn down the big money? Yeah. After that one extension. I'm saying as far as. Try, Dwight Howard, as, any number of examples. I'm so saying, Carl Anthony Towns will Duke's, sign an extension. Duke's, I'm, I'm just trying to say as far as making very important employees and or players sure. as happy as possible. Yes. Without causing friction because. Because you got jealous that an assistant coach way below you m- might have had the best relationship with Towns. I don't even know if it's jealousy. I mean, who knows? I mean, Tibbs is a wall. I mean, nobody knows him. So I don't know. I can't speak on Tibbs being jealous. But it is the belief of others close to the situation that, and I didn't hear the word jealousy or jealous, but that Tibbs wants to have the closest relationship with the young star player. Yeah, that's just. But I'm that, just telling you, guys I, don't turn down max offers off their rookie contracts. That just I, I hate it when things stem from insecurity 
I, it, insecurity is the root of so many problems, and whether it's sports or anything, and it's just whether if if everything adds up the way that I think it does, getting rid of coaches because you do, you, you want to be closer to a player or or blackballing a great broadcaster because you feel like he might be too negative. All of that stems from insecurity, and that makes me really uncomfortable. That's fine. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess the flip side is, think about where Tibbs just came from in Chicago, Foreman and Paxson in the front office, open books for the most part, especially on background with a lot of members of the media. You know, so Tibbs saw that. Then you bring in Scott Layden as your GM, you bring in Brian Pauga from San Antonio as your personnel director, whatever his official title is. You think about the walls that are up in the San Antonio Spurs organization. So you combine Layden's background, and after he was burned by the media in New York, too. Mm-hmm. So Layden. Well, he also made a Pauga, bunch of bad moves in New York. So Then Tibbs. I mean, I just I get why they have the wall up. Also, Tibbs won in Chicago acting about the same way. But at least there was somebody above him to challenge him. I mean, that's the issue. I mean, outside of Glenn going to him, but he's got three years, $24 million left in his contract. Layden makes at least $2 million a year, if not $3 million a year. So are you willing to eat approximately $30 million right now if you let go Tibbs and Layden? I'm telling you, I told you this weeks ago. I'll continue to say it. I will be surprised. So you can make a case for letting them go, sure, but that's a lot of money. Do you think, Glenn Taylor, do you think, okay, is it 0% or something above 0% that now that Dwayne Casey's available, Glenn Taylor would make a move on Dwayne Casey? I think there's some regret when they let go, Dwayne. He's very nostalgic, Glenn Taylor. Yeah, but I would be surprised. I mean, you know, never say never. Yeah. But I don't think it's, you know, 30% or 25% or anything like that. You know, I mean, I hope Dwayne coaches again somewhere very, very soon. Now, Buttonholzer may end up being the favorite in Toronto. So, does Dwayne make some sense in Milwaukee? Buttonholzer is not going like, to go there and change like, that. Like, wasn't Buttonholzer the coach when they won sixty games and also got beat by LeBron in Atlanta? Like, yes. what's the pattern here? You can't beat LeBron, which, by the way, like no one expects you to really, except the front office that fired you. Well, I mean, it's, it's just so it's weird. easier to change the coach, right? I mean, Zach Lowe, Listen, but don't change it. I mean, just keep building. Like well, until LeBron, or, until LeBron's dead. Yeah, I mean, Toronto's got good right. young players. I mean, they're going down two paths right now. They can win right now, but they also have good youth. I mean, if Toronto wants to, instead of blowing up the coach, but that's too late, Casey fired today, but find a workable Kyle Lowry trade. Find a workable DeMar DeRozan trade. Well, Hope LeBron leaves. That's the key. Well, If LeBron leaves, guess what? You might win. If he leaves, he's going to Philly, right? I mean, there's no way LeBron's going west. He's too smart, right? He's staying in the east. Whether it's re-signing with the Cavs, and I don't think right now LeBron knows what he's going to do. I could see him going to the Rockets. I could see him going to the Rockets. He look, Chris Paul's one of his best friends. I don't think guys think like we think. Maybe. I don't, I'm not think, I don't it, think, but I think LeBron James looks at the West and says, uh-uh. I think he looks at it and says, that's intriguing. Do, do you think on the Lowry-Derosian front, do you think the Timberwolves come into play there? Do you think they'll shop Andrew Wiggins? Well, what I was getting at is Zach Lowe, who does a very popular NBA podcast, his new podcast that posted, I think, three days ago on ESPN.com, he threw out, so they were going over, him and his partner were going over potential DeMar DeRozan landing spots. He tossed out verbatim, I can see Minnesota doing something crazy this summer. I just feel it. Now, it was him spitballing. This was not sourced. 
No, but and it's, it was within it's the context though. of it's educated. DeRozan possible landing spots. He also noted, which is true, that DeRozan and Jimmy Butler would be a horrible match. Hmm. Now, I guess DeRozan is so good, and if you've already discovered that Wiggins maybe has hit his ceiling, I'm still a Wiggins apologist in many ways. I don't think he has hit his ceiling. He but hasn't you, hit his ceiling. Others, Corzo, Scott Korzanowski, think. You need to move Wiggins at any cost, right? Just give him away, which I think is well, asinine. Well, that's Corzo. That's Corzo's. But I'm, that's how I'm other not. people think. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, if you could move Wiggins for DeRozan, now I don't think Toronto would do that. But but if you could, don't you just do it and figure it out later? Like if you have a chance to acquire a 29 year old All Star, don't you just do it? Then if DeRozan and Butler can't coexist, you know, look at it come the trade deadline or in a year. But I'm just telling you, I don't think Toronto would do DeRozan for Wiggins, but. It was interesting that Zach Lowe, who has a ton of contacts, he might have been spitballing, but I promise you, there's no way Zach just randomly said that, that he has a feeling that something crazy could happen in Minnesota this summer. Back to my Friday night recording, because that ends the Wolves talk from the Friday afternoon appearance I made on Mackie and Judd. It certainly is interesting that Zach Lowe volunteers that information. Again, I don't think he just randomly said that. So what could it be? Ownership would still need to approve an Andrew Wiggins trade. Now, hey, ownership was reluctant to approve a Ricky Rubio trade, ultimately did so. So would Glenn Taylor approve an Andrew Wiggins trade? I suppose it's possible. I don't think Wiggins goes anywhere this summer, though. Carl Anthony Towns isn't going anywhere. So something big would likely involve who? Jimmy Butler? If they're able to move Jeff Teague? And say somebody else is that big, I guess that would be a pretty big shakeup if you bring in a new starter. Now, on Jimmy, I don't know if Jimmy is going to take an extension this summer. I don't think it makes financial sense. In fact, it doesn't make financial sense for him to sign an extension this summer. Now, Clay Thompson apparently will sign an extension this summer with Golden State and sacrifice millions of dollars, but that's a dynasty they have in the Bay Area. There's no such thing as a dynasty here. In fact, I'm led to believe that Jimmy Butler is still in the process of figuring out if he can win here at a high level. He's still trying to figure out, okay, can I team up with Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins and bit pieces, or maybe slightly more than bit pieces, but you know, in theory, Butler, Wiggins, and Towns eat up so much cap space, you can only do so much. Jimmy is still trying to figure out if, for the next three to five years, if he can win long-term here. So why not use another year to formulate strong opinions on that, then make a determination. And you can also, oh, by the way, hit unrestricted free agency, not exercise that player option, hit unrestricted free agency one year from now, the summer of 2019. But we'll track what Zach Lowe thought. We'll certainly pay attention as much as we can because it certainly is interesting. All right, well, outside of the Rick Brunson fiasco. It was a busy week at Mayo Clinic Square with the Wolves bringing in draft prospects. They do not publicly announce draft workouts, but through sourcing, I can tell you all these guys were in town this week at different points for workouts. Jonte Porter of Missouri, Gary Clark of Cincinnati, Trayvon Blewett of Xavier, Josh Okoji of Georgia Tech. I don't know if I'm saying that last name properly, but he is a nice prospect. Devin Hall of Virginia, Dang Adele of Louisville, Nick Ward of Michigan State, Javon Carter of West Virginia, Jalen McDaniels of San Diego State, Rodney Bullock of Providence, and Theo Pinson of North Carolina. I know Reed Travis, Minneapolis's own DeLaSalle High School, Stanford University. 
Although, if he goes back to college, he could graduate transfer and be eligible at some blue blood right away. I wouldn't dismiss the possibility of him landing at Kentucky or some other blue blood, but Reed may keep his name in the draft. So far, he's had workouts for the Nets and Cavs. My understanding is the feedback has been good. It's just such a deep draft and a much weaker draft a year from now. So Reed Travis, no doubt in my mind, is an NBA player but it might make more sense for him to play one more year of college than turn pro a year from now. Regardless, before he has to make up his mind in a few weeks, I'm told Reed Travis will work out for the Wolves. Some other local guys, J.P. Makira, he has hired an agent. His name is Aaron Turner, but J.P. so far doesn't have any workouts scheduled as of Thursday night. Also, Zach Lofton, Columbia Heights High School. He was on the Gophers roster for a hot second. He hired Darren Matsubara as his agent. So we'll be tracking the local guys in addition to Gary Trent Jr. I passed along a few weeks ago that Gary Trent Jr. hired David Falk slash his agency. David Falk used to represent Michael Jordan. Gary Trent Jr., Apple Valley High School, will be at next week's Combine. So that's what's up next for the Wolves front office. They will have a contingency in Chicago next week for the draft Combine. Workouts on the court then interviews behind the scenes. I'm told some guys on their radar, Kyrie Thomas of Creighton, certainly Trent Jr. of Duke, and Chandler Hutchison of Boise State. Those are guys that I know they will be seeking to interview, plus some other wings, including Raleigh Hawkins of Arizona. I know they want to get Hawkins in for a workout sometime in the next handful of weeks. The Wolves doing all sorts of homework on wings. It appears wings is the top target this offseason. Gophers men's basketball news. If you're a semi-regular listener of this podcast or a regular listener, you knew that on May 10th, Zeke Najee of Hopkins High School would be taking an unofficial visit to the Gophers. Well, May 10th was earlier this week on Thursday. Zeke was over at the U. He spent some time with academic advisors, the coaching staff, including new assistants Rob Jeter and Kyle Lindstead. And Zeke got some one-on-one time with athletic director, Mark Coyle, I am told he was very impressed. It was a very positive visit for Zeke Najee, currently ranked in the top 50 in the country in the class of 2019. He is rolling up the offers. I saw that Texas Tech offered Zeke earlier this week. Kansas is showing all sorts of interest. I know that he has interest in Kansas, so that will be the next domino to fall potentially. Does Kansas offer Zeke Najee? Also, Arizona, Georgetown, and Louisville are showing interest. Also visiting the Gophers on Thursday, tip of the hat to the Hutchinson, Kansas newspaper for reporting this information. He plays for Hutchinson Junior College. His name is Devante Bandu, and I don't know if I'm saying the last name right or not. B-A-N-D- O.O. Devante Bandu, 22 years old, with two years of eligibility remaining. It seems to be down to the Gophers and Baylor. South Carolina, for a hot second, had a good chance, but a couple sources indicate it appears it'll be Baylor or the Gophers, and he'll make up his mind in the next 48 to 72 hours. So you might even be listening to this, and you'll know where Bandu is going to school next. He is eligible right away, so if he comes in, Presumably with his age, his scoring ability, he's a natural two-guard. I don't think he would come to the Gophers to come off the bench. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I would think Bandu goes to a school where he can start right away. He must have gone to a prep school for a couple years. I'll have to investigate that, but that's interesting that he's 22 years old with still a couple years of eligibility 
remaining. So the Gophers still have that one scholarship opening. They took on transfer Peyton Willis. They took on transfer Marcus Carr on Marcus Carr, the transfer point guard from Pittsburgh. I know some people are curious. Is there a chance he could be eligible next season? Could the NCAA pass some sort of new rule, some new legislation? letting players be eligible right away if they transfer because their coach was fired. Stallings got fired at the University of Pittsburgh. They brought in Jeff Capel. That's when Marcus Carr said, hey, I didn't commit to Jeff Capel. It's time for me to go. Maybe the NCAA does before the start of next season, but I can just tell you internally with the Gophers, they are not confident whatsoever that Carr will be eligible right away. They are operating as if Carr, like Willis, will have to sit out a year and can be eligible with the 2019 2020 season. So the Gophers are still looking for immediate help next season. Bandu could be that guy. I also know that they like their chances on Brock Stahl, the guard transfer that's eligible right away, the graduate transfer from Wisconsin-Milwaukee. There's the connection with Rob Jeter, but with Bandu being on campus earlier this week, signs point to the Gophers hoping to land Bandu to wrap up their 2018 recruiting class. Also on Gophers men's basketball, Amir Coffey, an update on him. We're still looking at June for him to be able to start shooting after that shoulder surgery a few months ago. And realistically, when it comes to getting back to playing five on five, true game shape, we are looking at the fall. Also, good story from Marcus Fuller of the Star Tribune in the paper earlier this week about Jordan Murphy getting some feedback from the NBA Draft Advisory Council. Also, part of the deal, though, is if you declare for the draft but don't hire an agent so you can go back to college is you pay your own way for workouts. So like Reed Travis flies to Brooklyn, flies to Cleveland, he foots that bill. So that's part of the deal. I went back and forth with Jordan Murphy's mom, and it's not like they're living check to check, but she made the point that it's not cheap to do that. So if Jordan wanted to go work out for two, three, four teams to get more feedback, and if he thought he was leaning toward going back to school anyway, does it make financial sense to spend all that money on flights and hotel rooms? So that was part of the equation as well with Jordan Murphy not declaring for the draft and going on workouts because it just it gets spendy. But regardless, Jordan Murphy will be back in a Gophers uniform for his senior year. He's on track to graduate, which is most important, in December. And he'll go down in the record books, top five all-time in rebounding, and a good chance he goes down in the record books, top five in scoring. I'm not quite sure Jordan Murphy gets the love he deserves as one of the all-time great Gophers. Keeping the basketball theme going, I was at D1 Minnesota's practice the other day in the South Metro. What a collection of talent in that gym. Matthew Hurd, Zeke Naji, Tyrell Terry was actually sick that night, but he's on that team. Tyler Wall of Lakeville North, Dawson Garcia of Prior Lake, Ben Carlson of Eastridge. All those kids have Gophers offers and other high major offers. All those kids were in the same gym. They all play for the Adidas-sponsored local AAU team, D1 Minnesota. They actually play in an event this weekend at Wyzetta High School. Games on Saturday morning, late morning. Then they will next play at like 5.15 on Saturday afternoon. In fact, if my schedule allows, we have baseball on Saturday morning. But I may try to make that 5.15 game on Saturday afternoon. Anyway, over the next couple weeks, I'll bring some of my conversations with the players to you through this podcast. Here is a recruiting update from Matthew Hurt, one of the top five players in the class of 2019. Top five players 
nationally. He can go to any university he wants. He is a future NBA player, at least the path he is on. Matthew Hurt will make a lot of money one day playing basketball. Here is a recruiting update from Matthew that I was able to obtain on Tuesday night. While I have you, what's the latest on your recruitment? Um, you know, there, there's been a lot of schools in contact, um, you know, Memphis, Minnesota, you know, Indiana, UCLA, Kentucky, Duke, um, you know, it's just mostly the same schools really right now, so it's been great. I mean, is it hard to keep track of? I mean, just in the last month, month and a half, I mean, how many coaches have been to Rochester to visit you? Yeah, there, there's been, there's been, there's been a lot, um, but, you know, I can't really think off the top of my head. But you know, I think I think I think it's out there right now that the coaches have came in. So I mean, yeah. Are you getting closer to making a decision? I mean, as we approach July, August, do you feel like you're you're in a good spot? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna try cut my cut my list after AAU season in August sometime. You know, I'm trying to try to make my decision September, November before high school season next year, and then if, I, if that doesn't happen, I'm gonna wait till April. Uh, be a, a late commitment. Also in the gym on Tuesday was Matthew's dad, Richard Hurt. He is the boss of D1 Minnesota, a successful businessman as well. I caught up with Richard briefly so he could provide an update on his son's recruitment. What's the latest on, on Matthew's recruitment? Oh, man. Um, you know, I think the, the biggest thing is, um, and for, for I, I said this on, on a podcast just recently, I mean, I think and I want everybody to hear this, especially in the state of Minnesota. There's nobody that wants Michael and Matthew to play together for one more year than than our family. I'm fully transparent. At the end of the day, Michael made the best decision for him. Matthew's going to make the best decision for him. And certainly he's going to have us as a resource. But people that talk about, like, you know, he's going to go to Kansas because we're an Adidas-sponsored program. That stuff's just, I mean... Couldn't be further from the truth. People that are going to say, you know, I, I, I just I challenge anybody to say, why would anybody go to a school just based on what they're wearing on your feet, you know, or the apparel that they're wearing? That's silly. And we have a business relationship with with Adidas from a club perspective, um, but that doesn't mean anything in terms of his recruitment. So I think at the end of the day, he's going to make the best decision for him, and and I think you know he's he, we'll kind of start to really formulate our plans at the end of the summer, what we're going to do for visits and start, start scheduling those visits for the fall. Matthew's older brother, of course, is Michael Hurt of the Gophers men's basketball team. All right, let's move on to the Twins. Sean Johnson is the Twins scouting director. It's always nice to catch up with Sean. Here is Sean Johnson. Sean, it's always a pleasure to catch up. Before we get to some 2018 draft stuff, let's look back at last year. I mean, really, it was your first draft being the guy, right? I mean, being final say guy. I mean, you think about Royce Lewis and Brent Rooker and the arms you got. I mean, how much pride do you take a year later as you look back at your first draft class? Uh, Yeah, obviously there's a lot of pride in the work we did that went into that, having that much money to spend and picking first. Uh, That was, you know, it was a lot of responsibility, and and I think we, we did a good job with the way we spent our money, and we feel good. Looking back on it, at the decisions we made and how we went about it, and you know, we we caught a break here and there uh, as as the rounds went on. You know, having some money to to get a Blaine Inlow type, we didn't have that page. You know, walking into the walking into the room, that wasn't the plan, and it just kind of evolved. And and uh, I, I I feel a, a strong sense of pride with you know, I I, I think our our staff is 
as good as it gets, and I'm, I'm just proud to be the leader of it. And uh, we just have a lot of talented guys, and, and you know, so far so good with that class. It's it's been easier for all of us to sleep well at night with Royce doing what he's doing, and mm-hmm. you know, Rooker and, and so on. So it, it makes it makes sleeping a lot easier. I can tell you that. Is there any part of you, Sean, that that's a little bit of I told you so? I mean, there were people questioning taking Royce Lewis number one, and I get it. I mean, the final chapter isn't close to to being written on guys like Hunter Green and McKay and the others that went after Lewis. But I mean, you look at Royce's start. I mean, it's a matter of time until he's at High A Fort Myers. And he's on a fast track or a relatively fast track to to help the twins one day. I mean, but you know this, Sean. There were people wondering why did you guys go with Royce Lewis number one? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm never going to say I told you so. We we talk a lot about in our group humility, humility, humility. So mm-hmm. I, so far so good. We, we we did a lot of work on Royce. We knew who he was. We we believed in the shortstop. We believed in his ability to put the ball in play and, and survive as a, as a young pro. And, you know, it's just a matter of time, like you said. <clears throat> you know, God willing, he stays healthy and all, all of those things. But he's wired the right way to handle that number one spotlight. And he's done nothing but exceed expectations just in every facet, on the field, off the field, with our players. He's made a terrific impact. And that's kind of what we thought would happen, you know. So I, I know there were some naysayers and – and that, there's always going to be that. But our room believed in Royce, and so far, so good. So far, so good, too, a Brent Rooker. I was just telling you off microphone on Friday night, he hits a walk-off grand slam. He's at double-A, and I get it. He was a college guy. But he's another guy that absolutely should eventually help the big league team. Yeah, I mean, he got to a terrific start, and we were able able to get him kind of back on track, make him age-appropriate for his league. And I, we got to see him a couple days and in spring training and he looks terrific. His swing is constantly improving and you know, uh, we, we, we hope he just stays on the track he's on. On the 2018 draft, because I won't steal too much of your time. How is the depth of this draft compared to other drafts? Uh, I, the term depth is usually a little tricky. Like last year, I guess a good example is there was depth at the top of the first round. There was a elite group of, five or six players. It was Royce, it was McKay, it was Gore, it was Wright. Um, and then, but you, we knew we were picking from one of those guys because those guys had made some separation. Now you could have put those guys in, in any order. Hunter Green, you could have, some people had him maybe one, some people had him six. Mm-hmm. Some guys would have taken Royce maybe at six if we didn't take him at one. Who knows? It doesn't matter anymore. But this this year's group has, it's, it's got depth, but it's, it falls off really quick. You know, there's no unanimous one this year, and then it gets really blurry after that. But the way we look at it is there's not much fall off from pick five or 10 to probably 25 or 30. So it's deep, but it's not elite in talent. Yeah, I mean, that's that's not bad, though, when you guys are picking 20. That I mean, you're saying, you're suggesting that, that really between picks five and 25, there really isn't that much of a separation? Yeah, I, I think it's it's pretty gradual. Sometimes – there's always kind of a, an area where you see it kind of fall off. And last year it was probably after six or seven, and then it got a little blurry, like who would you take? But this year I, I wish those teams good luck. In the top five, you know, that's it's tougher to pick up there because the the guys who are supposed to go have some hickeys, and there's some other options that aren't really that sexy for whatever the slots are. 
So we'll see how it shakes out, but we're we're glad we're not up there. We'll take we'll take twenty. Oh, absolutely! Heck, you'll take pick twenty eight or twenty nine or thirty or sure thirty would be ideal. Yes. So okay, so between five and twenty five, are we talking? Is there more depth pitching wise or or position player wise? Uh, There's you know coming into the year, and some of the high school pitching has kind of fallen apart, but that was kind of the strength of the first round. There's a lot of. Uh, a lot of velocity, high school pitching, which is always isn't. It's not always the ideal market you want to shop in because of the attrition, and it's hard to get guys through. You know, high school selections, uh, being pitchers in the first round. It, it just, it's just a. If you look, if you run the numbers, which we have, there's a lot of guys you've never heard of that went tall in the first round and out of high school, and so I think, and those guys have had some some uh, health issues here and there. And some guys haven't performed, haven't thrown well, have taken a few weeks off. So those guys are probably going to slide down. I think what you'll see is a lot of the college pitchers and college hitters will kind of climb up the board and, and fill in those gaps. Because that's really the preference of a lot of teams is it, it, it's a quote-unquote safer route. <clears throat> There's less chance for things to go wrong if you take a college player. So uh, I think that's what's going to happen since there's so many question marks. And there's not really a, a lot of upside that you think the high school guy's going to have than the college performer. So I think you're going to see a few of those guys really fly off the board. Do you guys have a preference? You know, it's it's the old adage. You know, we take the best player available, and I think that I think you have to have an even stance. You can't say we're just going to take college guys or we're just going to take ceiling high school guys. You truly want to take the guy you like the most when it's your turn to pick, and that it's as simple as that. So I. You have to. Uh, we, we look at the strengths of each draft and know, okay, this is a strong part of the, the draft demographic, whether it's high school catching or it's college bats. Or so you, you kind of look weigh all those things before you walk into the room. But we're not saying we're absolutely taking a college guy at twenty. We're not. We're absolutely not saying we're going high school. There, there's just. I think you get off track if you do that. You can you can get sideways pretty quick if you have a slant one way or the other. I mean, we've had success with both, and as is everybody else in the industry. So I you just go with what you feel the most confident with. As we're what, just a, a few weeks out, I mean, are there any questions that you still need answered? Like, for example, isn't there a prospect that's a big time? Is he a wide receiver, last name Adams? I mean, is there is there still some doubt whether he wants to play college football or he would sign? Are there some injury question marks? Or do you have every single question that you need answered, answered? Uh, I, I would say I'd never feel 100%. Certainly we've got it all covered. There's a little bit of you know, paranoia you want to have. I think that's healthy. You want to make sure you've got as much information as you can. And, and you know, right now, in the next few weeks, our, our area scouts who do a great job will be doing a lot of that work, trying to get the background. We'll start gathering signability. So the, the Adams of the world, the Kyler Murrays of the world, those are kind of wild-card guys that you won't really know until – you know what their dollar figure is, and we won't get that for, you know, right before the draft starts. On Adams, I mean, are the comparisons legit that, that he's got a little Buxton in his game? Uh, I could see that. Yeah, I mean, his his tools aren't like they're, – they're a grade or two below. You know, Buck's got a bunch of top-of-the-scale grades if you go watch him play. You know, he's the top of the scale in a lot of categories. And, and Adams is pretty close. He's not as fast. He doesn't throw as well. Um, you know, but but he's he's a terrific athlete. He's a he's a heck of an athlete. We've seen him quite a bit. 
Sean, how do you balance? I mean, you have a team that that hopefully the the championship window is open for for many many years. But coming off a playoff appearance, it certainly is wide open right now. How do you balance maybe taking a guy that who knows maybe an R, maybe a reliever that could even help you guys come September, you know, or help you more immediately versus a high school kid that that it'll take a handful of years. Yeah, I I think that's another way you can get sidetracked if if sideways really quick if you try to meet the big league team's needs for an upcoming season. It's just so hard to predict. Obviously, we feel good about our window to compete for the next few years. You know, with the with the youth on our club, but if we go into a draft trying to trying to pick a guy out that will supplement a bullpen or maybe rush up to a, the big leagues as a starter, uh, you usually make the wrong decision. I think it's pretty pretty easy to say that. So we truly want to take the best guy who's going to be a long-term fit with our club. And maybe it's a college guy who's a turnkey guy. But, you know, when you're picking in the back end of the first round, which we hope to pick for the next few years, you're usually not staring at that kind of guy that's just such a fast impact guy. You, you've seen the, the guys that have come up quickly, the Swansons, the Bregmans of the world, Benintendis. You know, they, they went pretty high in the draft, and mm-hmm. they got there pretty quick. It's not like guys coming from the back end of the first round. So, again, that kind of speaks to the depth we always talk about. The impact guys are going to go in the first ten picks, usually. You know, and sometimes it's the first five, and sometimes it's just a Harper or a Strasburg. Every year is different, but this certainly is. doesn't feel like it's that kind of year. How are you guys set up pool money-wise in the event that, that one of those upper echelon guys somehow falls all the way to 20? I've been comparing it to, like, we had an Olympic-sized pool last year. Now it's kind of a baby pool. Mm-hmm. It's shrunk quite a bit. There's less, you know... You can do a lot fewer, you know, things with that money. So it's going to be harder for us to get creative, and you know, maybe go over slot on certain picks. We, you know, we don't have that third round pick, which is quite a bit of pool money. So we're going to be pretty confined, I think, to how creative we get. But it just depends what we do with our our first couple of picks. So we're keeping all the options open, but I I don't think we'll have the the money to play around. You know, we were Scrooge McDuck last year just rolling in cash, but it's a little different this year. Were you one of the few guys that said, why, why, Derek, why did you sign Lance Lynn? Because you guys had to give up a pretty good draft pick, right, when you signed Lance Lynn? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would obviously never say that to Derek, but um, <laughs> I, we were fine with it. You know, it was I think it was an awesome addition to our team. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's what, it's yeah. what, it's what we needed, and to trade a, a third-round pick for Lance Lynn every day of the week. Agree. Yeah, I mean, you know, ideally you'd sign him for for multiple years, and I get it. He didn't have the best of Aprils, but he's got enough of a track record. I mean, I I fully expect Lance Lynn to to still have a good year. I guess the comeback, though, is you wish he had signed a multi-year deal. I'm with you. You sign Lance Lynn, especially when you've got this championship window open. But unfortunately, you've only got him for the one year, and you guys do give up that third-round pick. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a good trade-off, and I'm sure Derek would do it 100 times in a row out of 100, and we would we would be happy to have Lance Lynn every day of the week. Yeah, and hopefully he's making a playoff start for you guys. But but when you lose that pick, was it pick 95? 95, I believe, at the time. So yeah. not only do you lose the pick, but then you also lose – I mean, I guess explain to the audience how that works with the pool money. So you lose the pick, but then you also lose that, that slot money? Yeah, so every every pick – has a dollar figure attached to it from the first round to the 10th round. So let's say the third round is $800,000. Uh, so we lose that pick. So 
you lose the eight hundred thousand dollars you could spend elsewhere. So, like last year, we 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 were under with Leach, we were under with Royce Lewis. We had a surplus to go over uh, and sign Enlow for over slot. Mm-hmm. So we used that that savings, and you can distribute distribute it however you'd like. You can spend it all in the ninth round, but you have to create that savings to spend it and. So whether you take a senior with that that pick ninety five and sign the guy for ten thousand and save the seven ninety for someone else, you can you can get creative that way and use it however you want. Or you can take a guy for you know at that pick ninety five, let's say for a million dollars, and now you're two hundred over from that slot. Let's say you're even up to that point, and then now you've got to save two hundred thousand from rounds four through ten. So it, it's a little complicated. We've, we've got a lot of calculators out in, in the room to keep track of the dollars, but um, it, that part is the flexibility that allows us to do the in-low deals of the world and um, kind of squeeze. You kind of just want to create enough space to squeak one more player out of the draft. And, and last year we had enough money that we got in-low for $2 million, which isn't a normal, a normal draft. Yeah, I mean, you guys worked it brilliantly last year. How much do you, Sean, pay attention to the, to the mock drafts? I ask that because – just even this week, like ESPN.com, Keith Law has you guys taking this this college pitcher from Florida. MLB.com has you guys taking this college pitcher from Florida. Baseball America this week has you guys taking this college pitcher from Florida. How much do you watch the uh, the mock drafts? Well, that's good to know because I think I'll just head home from here. I don't know why I'm on the road. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Got to predict it. That's, that's great news. Um I think for people listening to this, the main thing when you look at the mock drafts is to we pay attention to the names that are in it, and not so much the order and who's because they don't really they're they're guessing pretty quick after about pick one, they're trying to piece together enough information to make a decision and they kind of go off track record. Certain teams like certain players. They probably think we need a pitcher, right? We're going to be good. Let's take a college pitcher. So. That's just kind of the math that they do, and you know that there's a few mock drafts that are better than others. We hired the best guy who used to have the best ones, John Manuel. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so we 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 pay attention to the names that show up, and the ones that are in mock drafts this week will be different in two weeks, yeah. and the, the one they put out the day before. The names will change some. The order will change some when they start piecing it together and hearing who teams are on. But there's a lot of guesswork that they're doing. If I had to do a mock draft for a publication, it would be awful. So (laughs) I don't know how those guys, those guys do it. You know, good reminder on John Manuel. What, what is his role right now in this, in this process? Well, in our process, I mean, he's, he's seen a few amateurs for us around his pro coverage. Um, You know, we'll, we'll probably have him, do you know feel around with some with some of the, his buddies in the media trying to get some information intel? But you know, right now he's full time on the on the pro side, uh, doing watching minor league and major league games. So I, I, we've we've used him quite a bit. I, I, I bounce questions all, off him all the time, and he's been a great resource for us. Nice. Now, now, what's your schedule like right now? I mean, home base is here in the Twin Cities, but I mean, is it very rare when you're back home here in in Minneapolis this this time of the year? Yeah, I, I probably was in Minneapolis two days in March. I had to leave a day early because there was a snowstorm. I was home probably two days in April, and I've been home a day or two in May. Uh, just one, actually. So, uh, yeah. I, you know, I'm out quite a bit. 
Um, I'll kind of peel back a little bit after uh, this weekend uh, coming up, and we've got conference calls uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday with our with our scouts. So now is the time we start bringing all the information together, finding out who our guys like. We start focusing on the on the details of each player. Do we know enough? Do we need to dig more? Do we need to see this player again? Um, I'll assign conference tournament assignments. We'll cover the, the, the big ones with prospects in them. And then uh, we'll, we'll convene in Minneapolis on the 29th and start our draft meeting. I'll leave you with this, Sean. How, how is the local talent this year draft-wise? And, you know, not just the high school kids, but, you know, like a kid like Sean Jelly, you know, from, from Kentucky, the SEC Pitcher of the Year last year. He's a Matamidi guy. Or Jake Irvin number one pitcher for Oklahoma, is a Bloomington Jefferson kid. But then I know, isn't there a good pitcher at, like, Rosemount High School? There's some good players at Lakeville North. I mean, how is the local talent this year? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple interesting arms. Now, if they'll stack up on our board high enough to get him, you know, to forego college, we'll see. That remains to be determined. But, yeah, there's some nice players up there. And, and you know, there's a there's a bunch of college guys. Where I You know, I'm looking at a roster at a given college, and it's a – it's a kid from the cities, and you know, <clears throat> there's there's one of them, you know, um, Walner at, at uh, Southern Miss. He might be the first pick in the draft next year. So uh, he's, you know, Michael Bush at North Carolina, having a great year. He's a really good hitter, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, yeah, I see I see these Minneapolis kids on the rosters all the time, and they're good players. So it's it's encouraging. Who's in the mix now to be the number one pick next year? Uh, it's a kid at Southern Miss. His last name's Walner. Walner, okay. I don't even know who yeah. the heck he is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, I played stupidity. I'm gonna learn he, about yeah, him a, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Late bloomer. He's a big, strong kid. Wow. So, I mean, you're already. I mean, that's a good reminder too. I mean, you're doing a lot of prep work not only for this draft, but I mean, you guys, you guys are all looking at guys that are draft eligible over the next few years as well. Yeah, I mean, we kind of we kind of always have our eye on you know, the following crops, you know, how that's progressing. Like I already have a forecast for, for next year's high school group and where those players are going to be. And, you know, we're constantly watching these college teams and building up a uh, follow list to keep track of these guys. And we'll see them a bunch in the summer. And, you know, it's, it's, you're always looking ahead, but obviously keeping an eye on this year's group. But you're always thinking about guys down the road because you're watching them progress. And we're tracking all of their – yeah, when we go see guys play, if it's a freshman or sophomore, we'll make notes of that, and it gets put into our system. And we kind of like to build a rolling list of how a guy's played. So by the time he's eligible to be drafted, we have quite a bit of knowledge and information from our looks and, and historically. Sean, keep kicking ass, and we'll certainly catch up either right before the draft or, or certainly immediately after. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thank you very much. It's always fun to catch up with the Twins draft boss. I was able to catch him after he watched a high school prospect on Friday late afternoon out west. Him along with Darren Johnson. So pretty much the two Twins heavy hitters when it comes to the draft. Certainly Mike Ratcliffe is heavily involved as well. But two of the heavier hitters, the boss himself, Sean, and Darren Johnson is heavily involved. They were watching the same prospect. So you know the kid is a big deal. Certainly a first round prospect. The question is, does that kid even get to pick 20? And it was late afternoon on the west coast early to late evening 
here in the Central Time Zone. I'll finish with a potpourri of notes on the Twins. I know somebody close to Mason Melitakis is surprised the Twins let go the lefty, formerly on the 40-man roster. An ERA below two over his last 10 outings. Before then, he had struggled. You can certainly make the case the Twins knew what they were doing releasing him, but I do know that his camp fully expects to land with a new organization very quickly. Also on the Twins, I tweeted this out before the beat guys, and the beat guys were all over, but Max Kepler will be okay. Not in the lineup on Friday. His hand is a bit bruised after taking that ball off his hand on Thursday night, but he should be back in the lineup, if not Saturday, then Sunday. This is not any sort of long-term injury. I'm Miguel Sano. It'll still be some time. My sense is he will need a rehab assignment, even though he's with the team right now in Anaheim, and I know Friday pregame, he did all sorts of work with Gene Glenn supervising. But if I had to say right now, signs point to Sano going on a rehab assignment before he joins the big league club once again. I'm a broken record. Paul Fenton remains the favorite to be the Wilds' new general manager, especially now with Nashville's season over. So that announcement could come as early as next week, early next week. And make no mistake, Paul Fenton absolutely positively wants to be the Wilds' new general manager. I know there were some reporters in Canada wondering, maybe he just stays in Nashville. He waits it out. He waits his turn. And he'll be the Nashville general manager. No, he is ready to take the Wilds general manager job once Craig Leopold offers it to him. On Gophers football, I try to track, at least in the national scene, the quarterbacks that they are after. I reached out to a Gophers contact. Heck, I spent some time with P.J. Fleck on Monday. But anyway, a quarterback from Texas that Kirk Scirocco has seen recently, Jacob Clark. Syracuse wants him. Wyoming wants him. Colorado State wants him. He will be on campus this weekend. The Gophers recently offered him. They like their chances with Jacob Clark out of Rockwall, Texas. Here's an update on another quarterback the Gophers have offered. He's in the class of 2020, so he's a current high school sophomore. Jalen Suggs of Minnehaha Academy. He's actually going to take an unofficial visit, football visit, to Ohio State in early June. I was catching up with a couple people close to Jalen. There was also the possibility, I actually tweeted this out, that he was also going to visit Florida State in early June, but it turns out his schedule is far too busy on the basketball front that multiple trips just aren't in the offering right now, maybe eventually, but he's definitely going to Columbus to check out Ohio State, plus Ohio State is sending at least one coach to see Jalen at Minnehaha Academy next week. All that being said, he's a future NBA player, the path he is on, so while he loves playing football, he's a phenomenal quarterback, dual-threat quarterback. It's hard to see him. This is now me more opinion talking, but it's hard for me to see him not playing basketball and basketball only at the collegiate level. On the Vikings front, Tom Palacero, my good buddy, had the scoop the other day. The Vikings had a defensive tackle in for a visit. David Perry, former Colts starter. As of now, no sense that the Vikings have interest in free agent defensive tackle from Minneapolis, former Gopher. Rashid Hageman, he worked out for the Patriots earlier this week. He's got a couple other workouts coming up. I know the Seahawks have some interest, but no sense yet that Rashid Hageman has interest from the Vikings. Now, Rashid did recently switch agents again. He let go local agent Blake Barrett, so now Hageman is on his third agent. And I feel bad for Blake, somebody who's a friend of mine, but I feel bad because I know how much Blake did 
for Rashid. But anyway, he's been training at Game Face Training here in the Twin Cities. Rashid is in phenomenal shape. So if he's mentally in a good spot, and all signs point to him being in a good spot, he should be on an NFL roster once again in the very near future. All right, that does it for Scoop Podcast episode 146. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Happy fishing opener weekend. Be sure to check out for your suit needs, Indochino. They have a showroom at Mall of America. Online, it is Indochino.com. You can get a premium suit for $379. That is 50% off. High-quality fabric, the best of fabrics, and they customize the suit for you. Just use the promo code at checkout, SCOOP. The promo code SCOOP gets you 50% off a premium suit at Indochino. I'll be back next week. Appreciate you listening.